Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. From the Jill Schwartz Memorial Library here in sultry Savannah, Georgia, this is Obscure Season 3, Wuthering Heights. I am your host, your friend, your ear lover, your literary mansplainer-in-chief, and Georgianologist Michael Ian Black, Southern Gentleman Esquire, lazing about, as I like to do, on, uh, on an afternoon such as this. Cloudy here today in sultry Savannah been raining, you know, and uh, a lot of people just don't care for for the rain. Man, I love it. Man, I love me some rain. Especially I got a I got a metal roof. We had one in our last house too. I like rain on a metal roof. People say, oh, isn't it loud? It's not loud, you know, because you got insulation and, you know, you got, you know, you got, uh, you got, uh, 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 you know, a whole story between you and the and the sound of the rain, you just hear it gently, a little pitter-patter. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. Who can believe it? No uh, no update on my Italy situation yet. I'm still waiting to hear from the uh, consulate in Miami. They have given us no information uh, since we were there in December. So it's, uh, it's a little bit of a waiting game here as we try to figure out the next year of our lives. But I think we're going. One way or another, we're, we're going to go to Italy. And uh, spend some time and spend some money and come back even poorer than when we left. Uh, that's been that's really been the brunt of my effort making the last few months is trying to figure out how to make a living and not uh, not coming up with a lot of good answers at this point. I can tell you, reading works of classic literature out loud and commenting on them as I go, not nearly as lucrative as you might think it would be. I mean, I thought, well, geez, when I came up with this idea, I thought, I'm just going to be rolling in it. I'm just going to be Scrooge McDuckin 
all over the place, diving into piles of gold coins, you know, holding up one work of classic literature in one hand and eating a Quiznos deluxe sandwich in the other while swimming in a sea of gold coins. Well, that has not turned out to be the case. I'm not sure why. Seems like the kind of idea that you'd just be printing money, but well, that's, that's not true at all. Something I'm coming into late in life. This is a new, a new thing for me. I saw a sign at the gym that I go to, not nearly as consistently as I need to be, but at the, it said, you can get high in Savannah. Like, just like a sign. I was like, oh, this must be a pun, some sort of high pun, like maybe it's a kite store or something. But then I saw it and it said, uh, Lilu Farms, and, 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 it, and, it, and it's a marijuana dispensary. Now, I don't smoke marijuana. Never cared much for this stuff because I don't like smoking things. It hurts, it hurts my throat and my lungs. And, but I was like, oh, I, I'd like to get high. But marijuana is not legal here in Georgia, so I don't know what the hell they're talking about. But I went over there. I bought some uh, apparently different strains. If it doesn't have THC, they can sell it. It's, different. it's some sort of legal loophole. Anyway, I bought some gummies. And uh, I've been taking gummies at night. I enjoy it. You know, just a good way to end the day. Just a little mellowed out, a little stoned, you know, head off to bed, a little bit of a ringing in my ears and a little heavy head. I like it. So eh, it might be my new addiction. I don't know. You know, you need something to be addicted to in this life. Something to give you pleasure. If it's not hint of lime Tostitos, might be gummies, you know, cannabis infused gummies. Although I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive by any means. I think they're Probably, uh, that's a symbiotic relationship right there. Anyway, that's what I've been up to. Not that much. Not much going on in my life. I was in San Francisco reuniting with the, my cast of Viva Variety, along with other folks from the state, and that was a good time. Had by all. A lot of laughs. A lot of Asian food. And now I'm back picking up Wuthering Heights. This was a very unfocused beginning of the show, and that's because I don't really have much to report, but, you know, a little comings and goings, a little housekeeping, a little this is what I'm up to, how was your week, a check-in, that's what we call it, a check-in. But uh, if, we ch- if we're checking in on the great American novel, Wuthering Heights, last time there was some violence committed by Heathcliff against Kathy Jr. He batted her about the head, slapped her against the head <laughs> multiple times, uh, so hard that she should have fall down, she fell, fell down, but he was sort of holding her in place and she couldn't, you know. And, uh, you know, she showed she showed him a little bit of a temper. She stood up to him and he said, do it again, I'll knock you the hell out. And, well, that's what happened. So we'll pick it up. We are in Chapter 27, Wuthering Heights. <laughs> Kathy ran to me instead of Linton. This is, they're at Wuthering Heights. He's just smacked her. And Kathy goes running over to Mrs. Dean and knelt down and put her burning cheek on my lap, weeping aloud. Her cousin had shrunk into a corner of the settle, as quiet as a mouse, congratulating himself, I dare say, that the correction had lighted on another than him. Mr. Heathcliff, Perceiving us all confounded, rose and expeditiously made the tea himself. The cups and saucers were laid ready. He poured it out and handed me a cup. "'Wash away your spleen,' he said, "'and help your own naughty pet and mine. 
It is not poisoned, though I prepared it. I'm going out to seek your horses. So he's basically locked them in and is creating a kind of Rocky Horror Picture Show type situation where he's uh, he's playing Frankenfurter, I guess, just with less garters and uh, is entertaining his terrified guests. And you say, well, why don't they leave? Well, he had the key. He kept the key. That's why That's why he smacked her to begin with, because she was trying to get the key out of his hand. And he's like, you're not going anywhere, little lady. <laughs> not until I have my way. And it's unclear exactly what he's trying to accomplish here by keeping them locked up, but that is what happened. Our first thought on his departure was to force an exit somewhere. Yes, that is the correct thing to do. We tried the kitchen door, but that was fastened outside. We looked at the windows. They were too narrow for even Kathy's little figure. Master Linton, I cried, seeing we were regularly imprisoned. You know what your diabolical father is after, and you shall tell us, or I'll box your ears as he has done your cousin's. Yes, Linton, you must tell, said Catherine. It was for your sake I came, and it will be wickedly ungrateful if you refuse. Give me some tea. I'm thirsty, and then I'll tell you, he answered. Mrs. Dean, go away. I don't like you standing over me. Now, Catherine, you are letting your tears fall into my cup. I won't drink that. Give me another. So he's being a little brat himself. He's just seen his father abuse his cousin, and rather than... I don't know, conspire with them to get to get the hell out of the house. He's uh, berating her. You got your tears in my tea. My tea in your tears. Ordinarily, you'd be like, well, those are two great tastes that taste great together, but apparently not then, you know? A little salty tear in your tea? Hmm. Delicious. Particularly if they're liberal tears. Give me some tea. I'm thirsty. <laughs> Catherine pushed another to him and wiped her face. I felt disgusted at the little wretch's composure, since he was no longer in terror for himself. The anguish he had exhibited on the moor subsided as soon as ever he entered Wuthering Heights, so I guessed he had been menaced with an awful visitation of wrath if he failed in decoying us there, and that accomplished, he had no further immediate fears. "'Papa wants us to be married,' he continued, after sipping some of the liquid. And he knows your papa wouldn't let us marry now, and he's afraid of my dying if we wait, so we are to be married in the morning, and you are to stay here all night, and if you do as he wishes, you shall return home next day and take me with you. Well, that's a lot of words for young Linton to get out all at once, um, but presumably maybe, you know, he's a little breathless at this uh this plan, maybe he he would like this plan to come to fruition himself. He said in the past, I, I think of you as a potential bride and not as my cousin. And she said, but I, I like you the way you are. And, and husbands and wives are miserable with each other, you know, which, you know, can't argue with that. I mean, you know about my relationship. Just a terror. So that's the plan. He, he has kidnapped them. <laughs> and is forcing them to stay at Wuthering Heights until she agrees to marry Linton. It seems to me that there might be some logical flaw in this plan. 
Presumably, if you are kidnapped and forced to wed under duress, any constable or keeper of the peace would say, well, that's not a legitimate marriage, right? Wouldn't, would, couldn't you just dissolve that union immediately? It seems to me you could. Even there in, in, uh, in 19th century America, it seems like that's something that you could do, particularly because you've got Mrs. Dean as a witness, you know, you've got Mrs. Dean holed up in there. You've got Linton and Kathy Jr. And you've got Heathcliff out there seeing to the horses while they talk. It just seems like that. that just doesn't seem like that could be possibly binding. Anyway. Take you with her, pitiful changeling, I exclaimed. You marry. Why, the man is mad. Or he thinks us fools, everyone. And do you imagine that beautiful young lady... That healthy, hardy girl will tie herself to a little perishing monkey like you. <laughs> it's not enough to call him a little monkey. You have to say he's perishing. Are you cherishing the notion that anybody, let alone Miss Catherine Linton, would have you for a husband? You want whipping for bringing us in here at all with your dastardly, dastardly puling tricks. And don't look so silly now. I have a very good mind to shake you severely for your contemptible treachery treachery, and your imbecile conceit. She's not holding back this Mrs. Dean and can you blame her? Nobody likes to be the victim of a kidnapping, let alone the victim of a kidnapping and, uh, and witness to a forced marriage. That's not what you want, particularly to your cousin. I mean, my goodness, all the family holidays are going to be so awkward from here on out, when you've got two cousins forced into marriage, sharing Thanksgiving dinner, just a, it's just a bad scene. And just, you know, regular Thanksgivings are tough enough. I did give him a slight shaking, but it brought on the cough, and he took to his ordinary resource of moaning and weeping, and Catherine rebuked me. Stay all night? No, she said, looking slowly round. Ellen, I'll burn that door down, but I'll get out. And she would have commenced the execution of her threat directly, but Linton was up in alarm for his dear self again. He clasped her in his two feeble arms, sobbing. Won't you have me and save me? Not let me come to the Grange? Oh, darling Catherine, you mustn't go and leave me after all. You must obey my father. You must. I must obey my own. She replied, and relieve him from this cruel suspense the whole night. What would he think? He'll be distressed already. I'll either break or burn away out of the house. Be quiet. You're in no danger. But if you hinder me, Linton, I love Papa better than you. Yes, exactly right. Daughter's first loyalty is always to her father, her Papa. I've said it and I meant it. And the boys to his parents as well. Filial devotion is what I say. We must have filial devotion as they do in the Far East. <sighs> there does come a moment. I don't, know, I don't know that this is particularly relevant to the book, but there does come a moment in one's life, uh, if one lives long enough and has children, where when you're, um, when you're a young person, before you have kids, let's say, and you see some sort of uh, story, a movie, a book, something 
about rebellious youth and such, the instinct is always to pity and empathize with the rebellious youth. But then when you get a little older and you become a parent, somewhere along the line, your your sympathies may shift to the parents trying to deal with this rebellious youth, you know? It's like, who's rooting for the parents in Rebel Without a Cause? Who's, who's rooting for Jim Backus in Rebel Without a Cause? And yet, you get old enough, you find yourself going, yeah, James Dean, why are you being such a dick? What's your problem, you know? You don't have a cause, you're just a rebel. It's, you know, it's not, it's not so apt with Wuthering Heights, because really, the rebel, more or less, the antagonist is Heathcliff. Um, he's like, if all those rebels and all those movies didn't drive off cliffs or get killed or whatever, they, they turn into Heathcliff or more likely they just go to work for an investment bank and make a shitload of money. Anyway, let's take a little break back in a moment here on Obscure. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back on Obscure, lamenting rebellion praising conformity and the status quo. That is what we're all about here on Obscure. Linton is whining and moaning and complaining. And uh, and Kathy Jr. saying, hey, sorry, dude, but I love Papa better than I love you, so stay out of my effing way. The mortal terror he felt of Mr. Heathcliff's anger restored to the boy his coward's eloquence. Catherine was near distraught. Still, she persisted that she must go home and tried entreaty in her turn, persuading him to subdue his selfish agony. While they were thus occupied, our jailer re-entered. Your beasts have trotted off, he said, and now 
Linton, snivelling again. What has she been doing to you? Come, come, have done and get to bed. In a month or two, my lad, you'll be able to pay her back her present tyrannies with a vigorous hand. <laughs> yes, in a month or two when you're married, you'll just be allowed to beat her vigorously about the face and shoulders, as I have demonstrated earlier this evening. You'll be able to pay her back with vigorous hands. I love it. I, I mean, I don't love it. I don't love domestic violence by any means, but in this case... You know, fictionalized domestic violence, fictionalized theoretical domestic violence. It's making me laugh. All right. I said it. You're pining for pure, pure love, are you not? Nothing else in the world, and she shall have you. There, to bed. Zilla won't be here tonight. You must undress yourself. Hush, hold your noise. Once in your own room, I'll not come near you. You needn't fear. By chance, you've managed tolerably. I'll look to the rest. He spoke these words, holding the door open for his son to pass, and the latter achieved his exit exactly as a spaniel might. Another more dog imagery. Just pointing that out. Emily Bronte loves her pups, does she not? Which suspected the person who attended on it of designing a spiteful squeeze. The lock was re-secured. Heathcliff approached the fire, where my mistress and I stood silent. Catherine looked up, and instinctively raised her hand to her cheek. His neighborhood revived a painful sensation. Anybody else would have been incapable of regarding the childish act with sternness. But he scowled on her and muttered, Oh, you're not afraid of me. Your courage is well disguised. You seem damnably afraid. I am afraid now. She replied, because if I stay, Papa will be miserable. And how can I endure making him miserable when he, when he, Mr. Heathcliff, let me go home? I promised to marry Linton. Papa would like me to, and I love him. And why should you wish to force me to do what I'm, I'll willingly do of myself? Let him dare to force you, I cried. There's law in the land, thank God there is, though we be in an out-of-the-way place. I'd inform if he were my own son, and it's felony without benefit of clergy. Silence. That's exactly what I was saying. We're saying it slightly differently. She's saying, well, there's no clergy here, so how can it be legal? I'm saying, how could it be legal if it's performed under duress? Well, we're about to get his retort. Silence, said the ruffian, to the devil with your clamor. I don't want you to speak. Miss Linton, I shall, I shall enjoy myself remarkably. In thinking your father will be miserable. I shall not sleep for satisfaction. You could have hit on no sure way of fixing your residence under my roof for the next twenty-four hours and informing me that such an event would follow. As to your promise to marry Linton, I'll take care you shall keep it, for you shall not quit this place till it is fulfilled. Send Ellen, then, to let Papa know I'm safe, exclaimed Catherine, weeping bitterly. Or marry me now. Poor papa. Ellen, he'll think we're lost. What shall we do? I mean, she's very bent out of shape and uh, and worried about her papa. Uh, what shall they do? I mean, the poor guy sitting in his sick room, dying, you know, coughing up this and that, thinking, where's Mrs. Dean? Where's my daughter? They've gone off to see Linton and haven't returned. By gosh and by golly. 
I hope they're okay. I hope they haven't been forced into wedlock. Uh, So what shall we do? Not he. He'll think you are tired of waiting on him and run off for a little amusement, answered Heathcliff. You cannot deny that you entered my house of your own accord, in contempt of his injunctions to the contrary. And it is quite natural that you should desire amusement at your age, and that you should feel you should weary of nursing a sick man, and that man only your father. What does that mean? Nursing a sick man, and that man only your father. Catherine, his happiest days were over when your days began. (laughs) Just a cock. He's just a cock. His happiest days were over when your days began. Ugh, God. He cursed you, I dare say, for coming into the world. I did at least. And it would just do if he cursed you as he went out of it. I'd join him. I don't love you. How should I? Weep away. As far as I can see, it will be your chief diversion hereafter. Unless Linton makes amends for other losses, and your provident parent appears to fancy he may. His letters of advice and consolation entertained me vastly. In his last, he recommended my jewel to be careful of his, and kind to her when he got her. Careful and kind, that's paternal. But Linton requires his whole stock of care and kindness for himself. Linton can play the little tyrant well. He'll undertake to torture any number of cats if their teeth be drawn and their cat claws paired. You'll be able to tell his uncle fine tales of his kindness when you get home again, I assure you. You're right there, I said. Explain your son's character. Show his resemblance to yourself, and then I hope Miss Cathy will think twice before she takes the cockatrice. Ooh, there's a whole new word for me. Cockatrice. We're going to have to spin up the old uh, research machine and see what that means. Cockatrice. Well, that's not what I was expecting. Okay, it's a mythical beast. Essentially, a two-legged dragon with the or serpent with a rooster's head. First use is from 1382, mentioned in Romeo and Juliet. The death darting eye of cockatrice. Uh, what does it have to do with? Hmm. Let's let me reread this. They will think twice before she takes the cockatrice. Well, that doesn't help me very much. Um, all right, well, uh, I'm just going to look it up. Cockatrice in Wuthering Heights. Let's see what that... Deadly Serpent, uh, chapter, chapter 27, and then let's go to Cockatrice. Hmm. That doesn't really explain anything before she takes the cockatrice. All right. I guess we're just going to have to skip over it. Very sorry, but I'm not getting a clear definition of why she should say that. All right. I don't mind. I don't much mind speaking of his amiable qualities now, he answered, because she must either accept him or remain a prisoner and you along with her. "'till your master dies. "'I can detain you both, quite concealed here. 
If you doubt, encourage her to retract her word, and you'll have an opportunity of judging. I'll not retract my word, said Catherine. I'll marry him within this hour, if I may go to Thrushcross Grange afterwards. Mr. Heathcliff, you are a cruel man, but you're not a fiend, and you won't, from mere malice, destroy irrevocably all my happiness. If Papa thought I had left him on purpose, and if he died before I returned, could I bear to live? I've given over crying, but I'm going to kneel here, at your knee, and I'll not get up, and I'll not take my eyes from your face till you look back at me. No, don't turn away. Do look. You'll see nothing to provoke you. I don't hate you. I'm not angry that you struck me. Have you never loved anybody in all your life, uncle? Never. Ah, you must look once. I'm so wretched you can't help being sorry and pitying me. Keep your F's fingers off and move or I'll kick you. (laughs) Cried Heathcliff, brutally repulsing her. I'd rather be hugged by a snake. How the devil can you dream of fawning on me? I detest you. Now, why does he detest her so much? Is because, I mean, if nothing else, well, I guess I understand. She is the product of the love of his life and his great, um, you know, his great enemy there, Edgar Linton. But still, you'd think tenderness for her mother, at the very least, would take some of the edge off. Apparently not. He shrugged his shoulders, shook himself indeed, as if his flesh crept with aversion, and thrust back his chair, while I got up and opened my mouth to commence a downright torrent of abuse. But I was rendered dumb in the middle of the first sentence by a threat that I should be shown into a room by myself the very next syllable I uttered. It was growing dark. We heard a sound of voices at the garden gate. Our host hurried out instantly. He had his wits about him we had not. There was a talk of two or three minutes, and he returned alone. I thought it had been your cousin Hareton, I observed Catherine. I wish he would arrive. Who knows, but he might take our part. It was three servants sent to seek you from the Grange, said Heathcliff, overhearing me. You should have opened a lattice and called out, but I could swear that chit is glad you didn't. She's glad to be obliged to stay, I'm certain. At learning the chance we had missed, we both gave vent to our grief without control, and he allowed us to wail on till nine o'clock. Then he bade us go upstairs, through the kitchen, to Zilla's chamber, and I whispered my companion to obey. Perhaps we might contrive to get through the window there, or into a garret, or out by its skylight. The window, however, was narrow, like those below, and the garret trap was safe from our attempts, for we were fastened in as before. We neither of us lay down. Catherine took her station by the lattice, and watched anxiously for morning, a deep sigh being the only answer I could obtain to my frequent entreaties that she would try to rest. I seated myself in a chair and rocked to and fro, passing harsh judgment on my many derelictions of duty. Well, it's about time, Mrs. Dean. It is about time that you recognize that you have been derelict in your duties and enjoying the drama so much that you let it get ahead of your commitment to taking care of Miss Cathy. From which it struck me then, all the misfortunes of all my employers sprang. 
your derelictions of duty, I would say, are not the reason for all the misfortunes of all of your employers. That's a little bit narcissistic, I think, in your diagnosis. It was not the case in reality, I am aware, but it was in my imagination that dismal night, and I thought Heathcliff himself less guilty than I. At seven o'clock he came and inquired if Miss Linton had risen. She ran to the door immediately and answered, Yes, here then, he said, opening it and pulling her out. I rose to follow, but he turned the lock again. I demanded my release. Be patient, he replied. I'll send up your breakfast in a while. I thumped on the panels and rattled the latch angrily, and Catherine asked why I was still shut up. He answered, I must try to endure it another hour, and they went away. I endured it two or three hours. At length, I heard a footstep, not Heathcliff's. I've brought you something to eat, said a voice. Open the door. Complying eagerly, I beheld Herdon, laden with food enough to last me all day. Tack it, he added, thrusting the tray into my hand. Stay one minute, I began. Nay, nee, cried he, and retired, regardless of any prayers I could pour forth to detain him. And there I remained enclosed the whole day, and the whole of the next night, and another, and another. Five nights and four days I remained altogether, seeing nobody but Hareton, once every morning, and he was a model of a jailer, surly and dumb, and deaf to every attempt at moving his sense of justice or compassion. End of chapter 27. Have we gone a little bit off the rails here at Wuthering Heights? Is that what has happened? Does this seem believable to you? Because it doesn't really to me, because Heathcliff to this point, it feels like, was fastidious about the law. Uh, mentioned many times the law and his desire to remain on the correct side of it. I don't feel like kidnapping uh, and forcing marriage is staying on the right side of the law. Now, I am unfamiliar with early to mid-19th century American Jewish prudence, so it's possible that I am mistaken here, but it, I just think uh, there just aren't that many times and places where it's okay to kidnap and force people into marriage. I, you know, what do I know? But it feels like maybe we're, we've gone a little bit off the rails. The other thing that I'm sorry is, it just keeps coming up again and again. Like, Kathy Jr., she says she will willingly marry Linton, but the question is, why? Why would she willingly marry Linton? Why does she love him? Why does she have affection for him? I understand that they laugh sometimes together, but he's a dick. And, you know, she may be a little immature, but she's not that. She's not malicious. And he definitely has a malicious streak in him, not to mention a whiny streak, you know, not to mention that he's horribly enfeebled. And maybe that is the attraction, his enfeebled nature. She's playing Florence Nightingale or some shit. I don't know. But it's not clear to me what, why she would willingly marry him at all. None of this is clear. It feels a little bit unfocused, this whole part of the book, this whole last, I don't know, third or so. So I guess, you know, we're, we're heading off to a forced marriage and 
Mrs. Dean is not going to be witness to it. She's been locked up in her room for, what, five nights, four days, with nothing but Hareton, a surly jailer, to toss some dog biscuits on a tray and leave her there up in the garret. So, you know, definitely feels like we're coming to the end of the book, you know, and, and we are. But, uh, I mean, where do you go from here? Let's just start killing people off. That's what I say. Let's just start executing our characters through vivisection or whatever other means we have at our disposal. So we'll leave it there. Wrapping up another chapter of the great American novel, Wuthering Heights. So we'll pick it up again next week on another cruel and unusual episode of Obscure. But until then, I wish you adieu. This season of Obscure is produced by me, Michael Ian Black, and Robin Lynn. Our theme music is by Craig Wedrin. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Michael Ian Black. And get even more Obscure content at our site, patreon.com slash Michael Ian Black. Thank you for listening. Powerful as Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to 1 gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.